Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. I want to start, I believe it's going to be a two-part message entitled, What to Do When a Terrorist Attacks. Now, Jesus actually talked about terrorism in the last days in Luke 21. He is, his disciples has asked him, what, what's going to be the signs of the last days and of your soon return? And Jesus made this statement. He said, terror will make people faint and they will be worried about what's happening in the world. How I many you know that kind of describes the world today? You know, not just 9-11 or Fort Hood or the Boston Marathon or, or what happened in Paris uh, just recently in Florida. Terrorism. It, Jesus said it's going to be a sign of the last days. And he mentioned here the result is going to be that people's hearts will faint. And literally it means to lose courage, to lose resolve, to lose your fight, right? There, there's an example of this, but in a good way in your Bibles in the book of Joshua. Now, God has brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, drowned Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, took care of them for 40 years in the desert, gave them victory over a number of major kingdoms, came to the Jordan River. God opened the Jordan. They walked through again on dry ground. And Joshua sends some spies to Jericho. And they're talking with a woman of Jericho. And she knows who they are. He said, when we heard about it, all that God had done, he said, we were terrified because of you. And we weren't brave anymore. Other translations say our hearts melted. Our hearts melted. What happened when they heard about what God was doing is they lost their courage. Now, the devil is the ultimate terrorist. And I believe this. I believe every terrorist you've heard about was motivated by Satan himself and demon power. That's the motivation that's behind terrorism. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 and 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion. Uh, I think we could, get like, in, in, in the DVK translation, that's my translation, all right? It would be, he goes about like a terrorist. You know, he's seeking whom he may devour. Now, the Bible says, resist him, steadfast, strong in the faith. You know, pre-research center, says that 85% of Americans believe in a devil. You know, the supernatural, the demonic, uh, it is all through our movies, our TV programs, our literature. Jesus personally had a confrontation with the ultimate terrorist, the devil. 82 references to demons or a demon in the New Testament alone. You know, it is a sinister fact that fallen angels or demon spirits are a clear, clear teaching of the Bible. If you believe the Bible, you believe in demons and you believe in Satan. Jesus said the thief approaches with malicious intent. That's the devil. He's looking to steal, to slaughter and destroy. He said, but I've come to give life with joy and abundance. Now, in, in the, the, the Bible is divided into an Old and New Testament. In the Old Testament portion, the Amalekites were the terrorists of the day. They were the equivalent of ISIS today. In fact, ISIS has, gotten, has nothing on the Amalekites. Right? And they actually come and they attack the town where David and his men live. Right? And David and his men, they, they literally, they own this entire town. They're the only ones there. And I want to read a few verses, and then we're going to unpack this, right? 1 Samuel 30 and verse 1. Now, it happened when David and his men came to Zegleg on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Zegleg, attacked Zegleg and burned it with fire, had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They didn't kill anyone, but carried them away and went on their way. Now, now, literally what they're going to do is they're going to make all of these people as slaves. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters have been taken captive. Then the, David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and they wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, you know, it is a bad day when you lose two wives in one day, had been taken captive. 
David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved. Some translations say were bitter. Every man for his son and daughter. But David strengthened himself in the Lord's God. Then David said to Abiathar, the three priest, the son of Abimelech, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. What to do when a terrorist attacks? Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was uh, with a bunch of men here from church at the golf outing. Uh, some of you didn't know that, that I play golf and in the, you know, some, usually in the 70s and sometimes dip down into the 60s. And if it gets any colder than that, then I just quit, you know. No. <laughs> the actual truth is I do not golf because Jeannie asked me to not golf. All right. But, but I was there at the golf outing. All right. And uh, one of the men, I was, I was just driving a cart around, watching everybody, making sure they weren't cussing, you know. <laughs> In fact, I figured out what we're going to do next year, all right. Next year, we're going to have a penalty. We're going to have a big sign that says $100 for every cuss word. And we will raise so much money. <laughs> right. But uh, one of the guys came up to me uh, and, and said, because I preached from this text in 2002. Right. And in, in 2002, I told him what I'm going to tell you today. Someday you're going to need what you're going to hear today. So whether you open your Bible and put this in the leaf of your Bible or you get your your tablet out, write this in your tablet, because someday you're going to need this. He said, you told us that. He said, and we wrote it down. He says, years later, he said, we got news that my wife had cancer. He said, and, and it, was, it was like the worst day of our life. He said, and, and uh, he said, we, we, we literally, we just broke down. He said, and this teaching that you're going to get today and then in a couple weeks, he said, it was a roadmap out into victory. A roadmap out into victory. But David and his men... They've been gone and they're coming back and they're about to get home. And those of you that travel know this, it, it, there is no place like home, right? You're, you want to get back to your spouse, to your kids, to your bed, right? Hotel beds do not cut it. I'm telling you. All right. And they're, they're, they're ready to get back, but they come over that last hill and they think they, they think there's going to be the town and that there is an ominous sight. They just see they, they see columns of smoke coming up. And, and I'm sure all the conversation just stopped. It was a hush, right? And everybody, their mind's going crazy. They're, they're, they're anxious, right? They speed up the pace. They went from a, from a walk to a run, right? And when they arrive, there is nothing left. Every house has been burned with fire. Everything they own has been taken and their families have been kidnapped. It's the equivalent of you're coming home from a trip and you turn on your street and the fire apartment's there and they're cleaning up the embers from your house. The chimney is still standing and that's about it. And at the same time, the police come up and they inform you that terrorists have kidnapped your family and all your money has been embezzled. I mean, you know, that is a bad day. Right? That's the equivalent of what has happened. So we're going to talk about 12 things to do when a terrorist attacks. Number one this is going to seem strange, but this is what they did. The Bible says they wept until they had no more strength. The first thing to do is weep. Look, faith does not exempt you from troubles and faith does not exempt you from feelings. In Ecclesiastes 7, it's talking about a day of disaster. It says sorrow is better than laughter. And a sad face is good for the heart. He's saying that, that, that when we grieve, it brings healing to our heart. When disaster strikes, you feel it. When Peter denied Jesus, the Bible says that he, when he realized what he did, he went out and he wept bitterly. The apostle Paul says, I served God through many trials and tears. 
He's saying there have been a lots of attacks, a lot of disappointments. There have been a lot of tears that were shed. When Abraham's wife, Sarah, died, the Bible says he came and he mourned for her and he wept, All right? The first thing to do is weep. You can get knocked down so hard that literally it takes your breath away. Now, the good thing is this. When you get knocked down as a Christian, you don't stay down because the righteous man may fall seven times, but they rise again. The righteous thing is to get back up. But there may be a time where you're in shock. There may be a time of mourning, a time of grief. And that's exactly what happened here. Number two, and this isn't always true, but repent if you need to repent. Jesus heals a man who'd been crippled for 38 years. And the Bible says afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you've been made well, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The Bible doesn't tell us what this man did, but this man did something that caused that attack. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba, there's several different um, Psalms where part of his process is mentioned. But what happens is he repents when, when this happens. In fact, in Psalms 51, he says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your love and kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgression, my sin is ever before me against you, and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. He is repenting before God. And if there is sin, if there's something in our life that's an open door for the enemy, Say, Jesus said this, he said, the prince of this world, speaking of Satan, he said, comes, but he has nothing in me. If there is something that we need to repent about, we should repent immediately. But then number three, don't get bitter. Some people get mad at God and run from God. Others get mad at other people, blame other people. When this happened, David's men... Now, now, remember, these are the guys who came to him at the cave of Adullam. And David is hiding from Saul. And the Bible says that everyone who was in trouble, discontent, in distress, and in debt came to David. How many of you know that's, those aren't good things to put on your resume? Right? I, I'm, I'm distressed. I'm discontent. I'm in trouble. No, that, that, those aren't the things that they want to hear. These, weren't, these were not... The, 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 the prime people of Israel. They were not the cream of the crop. But David took them in and lived in his example before them and poured his life into them. And these men become the most mighty men, the most valiant and honored men of all of Israel. But they have just been hit harder than they have ever been hit before. And some translations say they grieve. Others say they be, they're, they're bitter, all right? They're discouraged. And here's what they do. They say, we're going to blame somebody. Let's blame David. And the Bible says they begin to talk about stoning David. Let me just say this. Never make a decision when you're discouraged and depressed. It's always the wrong decision. You make the... The wrong decision. I, I've talked to people who've quit their job, moved away, done all sorts of things when they were discouraged. And then 30 days later, like that was the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. That was the worst decision I have ever made. All right. So what they're going to do is they're talking about stoning the very man that is the responsible for everything that they've received. Every good thing in their life has, flown, has, has literally flown through David. It's flowed through him into their life. And now they're going to stone him. All right. When we get bitter, when we get bitter at people, when we get bitter at God, it never brings the results that we want. In fact, this is what it says in James 1. Human anger does not achieve God's righteous purpose. In other words, we get mad, we get bitter. And we never get God's best. Never get God's best. In fact, in Ephesians 4, 26, it says, be angry, don't sin, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. When we do not forgive, it gives Satan an opportunity, an inroad, a foothold 
Don't give him a place. You give him an inch, he's going to take a yard. You, when he gets that yard, he's going to push for a mile. Right? But when we don't forgive, it gives that inroad. Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one falls away from God's grace, that no bitterness springs up to cause trouble and spoil everybody's life. The result of bitterness and unforgiveness is something is going to spring up in your life and the Bible says it's going to spoil your life. That's what it's going to do. Jeannie and I were missionaries for several years in Mexico. I had a pastor friend uh, that pastored a church in a, in a town of about uh, 25,000. And for the town, he had a, a really a pretty good sized church. He had about 1,000 people in his church. And there were a couple of guys in the church that kind of rose up in rebellion, uh, literally said things that weren't true and split the church, took about 200 people. They went a quarter mile away and built a, little, built a church building. Several times when I was with him, we would drive by that because we were going someplace. And every time he would just begin to talk about those people and just spew things out. And, and I said to him, I said, you know, what they did was wrong. I said, but you need to forgive. You need to get that out of you. He says, you're, you're, you're giving Satan an opportunity. And, and I don't know if this was the result. But I remember one of those days we went by and we went to a new church that he was building about 40, 30, 40 miles away. Just putting up the walls and he wanted to show me. And so we went there and some of the people from the church saw us. And this was a very rural area, very poor area. And uh, they invited us over to their house to eat. And so it was just one room, table. They set us at the table. They brought us some food. And, and, and uh, I, I remember I had never seen so many flies in all my life. And literally, I had to go like this to shoot the flies off to find out if the bread was white or brown. Okay. And then they gave us some other stuff to eat. And uh, it's like a month month later or so, we were supposed to be going to a conference together and uh, I give him a call and I'm, I'm so sick, I can't go. And he's so sick, he died. And, and I said, God, this ain't right. And, and, and I, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not sure, but I want to tell you what I think. I think he gave Satan a foothold through unforgiveness and bitterness. The Bible says right here, nor give place to the devil. When you refuse to forgive, you give Satan a foothold, a place to come in and attack. Jesus said, the prince of this world, the devil comes, he has nothing. There is no place for him to have a foothold in me. All right. See to it. No one falls away from God's grace that no bitterness spring up to cause trouble and spoil everybody's life. You know, our flesh always wants to blame somebody. Right. And they were about to kill the person that was going to bring them into the victory that God had for them. Number four, encourage yourself in the Lord. Now, it's great when you've got friends that will encourage you. But sometimes there is nobody to encourage you. And when that happens, you need to encourage yourself. The leader is the one who needs to encourage themselves when everybody else is discouraged. And David knows that. So he's going to encourage himself. You say, how do you do that? Well, we've actually got a great example of David doing this in Psalms 116. This is what he says. He says, return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Now, your soul is your mind. And what's happening is David's spirit is talking to his mind. So we can say it this way. He's talking to himself. So ladies, it is scriptural to talk to yourself. Right? But you need to be careful about what you say to yourself. Right? You need to say the right thing. So this is what he says. He says, God, in a time of discouragement, he looks back and this is what he says. He says, God has been good to you. And he begins to recount what God has done. He says, you delivered my soul from death. For about 10 years, King Saul was trying to kill David. The Bible says he became his enemy and sought to kill him every day. But then it says, but the Lord never delivered David into his hands. God kept David alive when the king 
with 3,000 men was constantly out looking for him and trying to kill him. And he remembers, he says, God, you kept me alive. He says, my eyes from tears. David had a lot of things that went wrong in his life, in his family. He says, but God, you healed my heart from every one of them and my feet from falling. You know what happened. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had her husband murdered, but God forgave him. And David said, you put me in a large place and put my feet on solid rock. He said, God, you forgave me. And he looks at everything that God has done. And you know what he did? He encouraged himself, right? Dwight L. Moody said this, I've never seen God use a discouraged man. Why? Because when you have no courage, when you have no fight, you never get God's best. The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it or seize it by force, right? See, if you're discouraged and you're not willing to fight, you've got no strength, you're fainting, you never get God's best. You know, what happened with David, the terrorists destroyed his house, stole his stuff and kidnapped his family, but they couldn't get his faith. He kept himself encouraged in the Lord. And if the devil can't get you discouraged, he cannot win. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 1, he said, therefore, we do not get discouraged. You say, yeah, but things are bad. Yeah, but that's when you need to begin to thank God. Thank him you're saved, you're forgiven, you're a child of God, you're delivered, you're a new creature in Christ, your citizenship is in heaven, you're on your way to heaven, you've got eternal rewards, you've been justified, you've been washed in the blood. You begin to thank God, begin to thank him, right? It may be that you lose your job, crash your car, your best friend forsakes you, your 401k disappears, you get lied about, your boat sinks, and your dog dies. But hallelujah, your citizenship is in heaven. And the Bible says your life is hid with Christ in God. If everything, if the Dow Jones goes to two, you know what? Your future is not in the Dow Jones. Your future, it's in heaven. You're connected. Your life, your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, not half your life, not a quarter of your life, not your spiritual life, he is your life, appears. We are connected to him. And in him, the Bible says, we're more than conquerors. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Number five, get a word from God. Get a word from God. Listen to what he did. So David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him and said, pursue and you will surely overtake them and without fail recover all. In Luke chapter four, It says that Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as his custom was. I want to congratulate you, your custom, your tradition, you're in church worshiping God on a beautiful day. Praise the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do. And the Bible says there was delivered to him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he opened the scroll And he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he begins to read that portion of scripture. And he hands it back to the attendant. He sits down and he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is what he said. Today, this scripture is true about me. That's what he just said. All right. Now, what did he do? He opened the book. How many have got the book? It's called the Bible. He found the place that covered his case. And he said, this is true about me today. Right? That's how you get a word from God. There's over 7,000 promises in your Bible. And I don't know what your problem is, what your situation is. But let me tell you something. 
There is a verse that covers your case. And you need to find that verse, that one that's written. And you need to begin to say what Jesus say. Today, this verse, it's true about me. The devil will tell you, you're guilty. You sin. God's mad. But you find the verse that says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. If I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. The devil attacks with sickness and you find the verse that says, he forgives all my iniquities and heals all of my diseases. You find the place where it's written and you begin to say what Jesus did. This verse is true today about me. And you keep saying it, you keep saying it, and you keep saying it. Now listen, faith begins where the will of God is known. See, here's what happens a lot of times. We'll say to somebody, they've got a situation, whatever it is, and say, well, what scriptures are you believing? Well, none in particular. You know what you're going to get from God? Nothing in particular. You say, why? Because God does chapter and verse. He confirms the word. That's what he does, all right? Without faith, listen, it's impossible for you or me to please God, to connect with God, or to receive from God, right? Without faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is our confidence that what God says in his word is what he will do for you and me today, right? Our faith can't be in what we feel, it can't even be in what happened to somebody else. Our faith needs to be in chapter and verse, right? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit went working with them, confirming the word. What does he do? He does the word. He doesn't do tradition. He doesn't do feelings. He does the word, right? So Jesus opened the book. He found the place where it's written. And he said, this scripture, it's true today about me, right? Same thing you and I do. We find those verses. The Bible says in Corinthians that all of the promises of God are yes and amen in him. You're in him. Every promise, it belongs to you. But listen again, Jesus said, Mark 4, he said to them, be careful what you're hearing. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth that you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you and more besides. Jesus is saying, you've got to get it down on the inside of you. You've got to meditate on that thing. It's got to become a part of you. You, you don't get it just reading it, right? It says he sent his word. Listen, Psalms 107, he sent his word and he healed them and delivered them from all their destruction. You need healing. You need deliverance from anything any problem, any situation, the way God does it is through his word. When you believe that word, when you confess that word, right? Just like Jesus did in Habakkuk chapter two and verse one, this is what Habakkuk said. He said, I will look to see what he will say to me. I will look to see. It's not, well, what am I going to feel today? You know, what does somebody else have happen? No, we're going to look in the book we're going to look in the Bible to see what he will say to you and to me. You realize the Bible is the will of God for you and me in every single situation. God's word, that's the will of God. So we go to the book and we find the place where it's written about us and we believe it and we confess it. And that's how faith works. Get a word from God. Well, the message isn't done, but time's up. So this is what we're going to do. Two weeks, we're going to pick up right here. We're going to get the last seven points to this message. But right now, would you please bow your head? <clears throat> so many of us in America today, we believe that good people go to heaven. And, and I want to just dispel that. This is what the Bible says, forgiven people go to heaven, forgiven, people that are right with God. And Jesus said this, he said, I am the truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. 
Think about this. This is what this means. That my way will never get me to God. That your way will never get you to God. Jesus said there is one way, only one way, God's way. And that's through him. And this is what Jesus said to you and to me. He said, you must be born again. Now, what that means is this. It means giving God all of your heart and giving him all of your life. With him, it really is an all or nothing relationship. And you're here in God's house today by divine appointment. You're here to get right with God. Today's your opportunity. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Now, all of us know about God, know about Jesus. You know about Easter. You know about Christmas. But listen, salvation is not about your head, right? Salvation is about your heart. It's about giving your heart and your life to Jesus. And he is not a thief that he'd steal your heart and life. He's not a manipulator to deceive you into giving your heart and life. It is your choice. And if you have not given Jesus all of your heart and all of your life, you still have it. And he will not take it by force. But he is knocking at the door of your heart. And he's saying, if you'll open up, I'll come in. Today is the day of salvation. You must be born again. And I'm going to count to three in just a moment. And we're going to pray. And what's going to happen is this. You're going to receive him. You're going to be born again. You're going to give him all of your heart and all of your life. And when we say amen, you're going to be forgiven, right with God, part of his family, on your way to heaven. So get ready on three to lift that hand. As you lift your hand, you're saying, first of all, I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And I know there's just one Savior, and that's Jesus. I'm coming to him today to be forgiven and to be saved. One. As you lift your hand, you're saying, I am not going to let the thief, the devil, the terrorist, steal, kill, and destroy in my life one more day. I'm coming to Jesus to have the abundant life he has for me. Two. Now get ready to lift your hand. You're saying, today, Jesus is going to come into my heart. He's going to forgive me. He's going to make me a new person on the inside. Give me a new heart. I'm going to be a part of God's family. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to be his child. And I'm going to be on my way to heaven. Three, lift it up. Pray with me. Pray with me. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. And that hand. And that hand. And that hand. Are there others? Include me, Pastor. I am not right. Thank you. God bless you. Somebody else, way in the back. Thank you. God bless you. All right. Would everybody please stand? Now, if you lifted your hand, please look right at me. Wherever you are, would you move to the aisle that's nearest you? Bring the person that you came with, your Bible, whatever you need, your purse. But move to that aisle and make your way right down here. I'm going to come here, but God is going to meet us right here. In just a moment, we're going to say amen. When we say amen, your past, it is going to be gone. You're going to be right with God. He's going to blood wash your sin. Past gone, new person in Christ. If you're in the balcony, please make your way down. We'll wait for you. Now, Romans chapter 10. I want you to listen to this. We're going to find the place that it's written, where it's written about you where there's forgiveness for you, where there's salvation for you, where there's a new life for you. Awesome. God bless you. All right. All right. Come right on down. Romans 10, 13. This is what it says. It says, whosoever, that's you, 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 and you, will call on the name of the Lord. We're going to call on his name the way the Bible tells us to. And God has a promise for you will be saved. So when we say amen, your past is gone. You're forgiven. You're right with God, the child of God. He's going to make you new on the inside, right? You're going to be on your way to heaven. You ready? All right. Everybody take one hand, put it over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven, and let's pray together. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again, and I believe he's coming again. I receive him today as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to live for him every day. 
And I thank you for forgiveness, for making me a new person on the inside, a part of your family today and forever in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.